0: When I was in high school, I played almost every sport that I could get involved with. Um, I wrestled all through kindergarten through 12th grade. I played soccer. (laughs) What I miss? (laughs) I know, it's sorry for you to believe I was a wrestler. Okay. No. Uh, I loved it. Soccer, I kind of played soccer. Big boy don't run. Uh, At least not full fields. I played basketball, I love that. And uh, with the help and encouragement from my coaches, I learned that there's one common denominator in every sport that you have to consider when things are not going well. And by that I mean when you are on a losing streak and just can't seem to get an advantage over the competition. The common denominator in all these sports and others is this you have to get back to the basics. If you want to get better, you have to get back to the basics. If you want to get best better in wrestling, I remember the coach would make us work on our stance. And uh, I remember every guy had his own stance. I know for me, uh, used to come like this, you know, and it is all risk control, having a risk and pulling them in and taking them down. And, you know, I, I vowed when I was in uh, ninth grade, I ended up wrestling a senior and he thought me so bad I mean, he got his eight second pin, boom, done. I'm like, what happened? Before I even knew what took place, I was done, the match was over. I said that year, that will never happen again. And something happened, a little light switch got turned on, and all of a sudden I realized that I'm not a wimp. I'm a big boy, and I can handle this. And coach says, it's your stance, it's your wrist control, hand control, It's your takedown defense. He said, if you will work on the basics, you can do this. And I remember the next year, my sophomore year, I went out and I thumped, and I got several eight-second pins that next year. My junior and senior year, I went 41 and 2. And the 2 was the same guy from a regional tournament both years. I wanted one more year. (laughs) I had to work on the basics. Soccer, the basics most often consists of ball control and passing. And basketball is no different, dribbling with our heads up, exercising ball control, and making crisp passes. Weightlifting. You know, you could lift you couldn't lift a lot until you lifted a little a lot. Do you get that? You can't lift a lot until you lift a little a lot of times. And I remember the coach would tell us to concentrate on technique and repetition with smaller amounts to build up the muscles for later. So what do these sports have to do with you and me? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I wonder if at times if we catch ourselves not having an advantage over the opponent. I've said this for some time. It seems like Satan fights hard. Hard. Anything at any time that you dedicate yourselves to serving God, anytime you make a commitment to doing what is right, you are not going to be able to do that unchecked. I believe that. Every time I make that commitment, every time I make that decision that I'm going to do everything that I can to walk as obediently as I can, Satan says, oh yeah, let me check that out. Let me see how serious you are about that commitment. Commitment. Those kinds of decisions, those commitments do not go unchecked. And if you make that decision, you'll find out why. Satan does not want you to live for God. He does not want you to go forward and magnify God in all that you say and do. And I wonder if at times we don't catch ourselves, if we don't catch ourselves not having an advantage over the opponent. Because we need to get back to the basics. I wonder if spiritually speaking, we need to get back to the basics. So what do these things have to do with anything? Well, I want to start just for a moment by sharing just a little bit of a personal testimony. I shared a little bit of it a couple weeks ago when I got back from Raleigh, North Carolina. At that conference, I thought, you know, this is a great conference. Um, Gary Newhart asked me if I wanted to go down there with him. and I said, sure, let's go. Bottom line is we went down to Raleigh, North Carolina to the Advance 13 Conference. I mean, the books that I encourage you to read, Radical, Follow Me, David Platt's the author. Wonderful guy, godly man, uh, has a right focus on ministry. And I thought, he's going to be one of the keynote speakers? I want to be there. I want to hear it. John Piper, I, I respect the man incredibly for his wisdom and his years of interpreting the Bible and and giving me some key nuggets that I can use in ministry and in, and in my own theological persuasions. He was going to be there. Matt Chandler, the book I encourage many to read, uh, Creature Creature of the Word, um, a, a Explicit Gospel. Some of these books that are written by well-known men, all of them on the same platform. And I'm thinking, wow, this is like a great lineup. I want to be part of it. And I go in there like a sponge, just wanting to soak it all in and learn everything that I can. Not so that I can come back here and put it into practice. There's no one size fits all church, but so that I personally can be stretched and developed and become more godly and, and, and do the things that I need to do in my obedience to God to go further for Him. And as I'm sitting there, the last, you know, the second to last night, John Piper gets up and John Piper, to me, is not one of the most exciting men to listen to. I love his books. He's kind of like... I know this is going to be recorded and someone's going to yell at me for it, but you ever listen to Wearsby? The B-series? Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh. Piper. So it's starting off slow. For five to seven minutes, it's like... And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts taking the words that are coming out of his mouth and the Word of God that he's preaching. And all of a sudden, it begins to start honing in on you personally. And all of a sudden, he's got my full attention. And as I described a couple weeks ago, it was like about 15 minutes into it, it's like he took a jab with a dagger and just... And he's like, he's holding it there. I'm like, Lord, let up little. Okay, I get it. (laughs) Twisting it and jabbing it again. Like, man, he had my full, undivided attention. Not John Piper, the Holy Spirit. And as he pulled it out, it's like, I was like, thank you. With a pitchfork. And you're like, you're bleeding profusely spiritually. And maybe that doesn't make sense to many of us in here. But what he was doing was conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, this is your problem. Deal with it. And I walked out of there silent. Ask Gary. Walked out of there and I'm like, wow, that was powerful. I got home that night to where we were staying. And I sat there, went upstairs, and I just cried. And I cried. And I cried. Maybe you don't get convicted that way. But I know the Holy Spirit worked on my heart that night. And He talked about this. Finding your joy completely in God alone. Can we all say that? I find my utmost joy in God alone. I've heard that message before. You have to. I've read the book that he is drawing from before. Never caught it. It went, in one ear, out the other. But that night, the Holy Spirit used that and said, Ken, where do you find your joy? Let me just kind of take my hat off for a minute and step over here and say, okay, here's the pastor talking about that pastor, Ken. Every pastor goes to a conference and they walk up to you and say, Oh, great. How you doing? Pat answer. One pastor to another. Great. So tell me about your church. And what they say by that is not, How's your church doing? They're not saying, What's happening at your church? What is God doing at your church? They're not saying that. What they're saying is what? How big is your church? Between four and five hundred, between four <laughs> and five hundred, just happens to be around seventy. <laughs> but you know, every pastor wants to know, deep inside, although they may not ask it, how big is your church? And you say, "Not, not you. No, no, I'm too spiritual for that." So, what? How do pastors find their joy? When people are adding to the church and people are getting involved and we got good sign-ups for, for Bible study because everybody, their greatest inward desire is just to grow. I mean, more than anything in all the world, I just want to grow closer to God. That's why there's so many slots for sign-ups and they're all filled. We find our joy in seeing people do what God asks them to do. But what happens when that doesn't happen? you get discouraged you get frustrated god what's what's missing lord uh, you know is it the church is it me is it all of us is it what is it we want to know and the question that god began to probe in my heart that night was what if god wants this church to stay at 70 for life and i don't believe that but what if it doesn't can you still find your joy in me what if people don't sign up Sunday morning, and apparently there's not an interest to really dig deep? Can you still find your joy in me? What happens if you can't go see family on the other side of the United States because it's just too difficult? Can you still find your joy in me living here in New York? What happens if you can't take that class or go to that school? Can you still find your joy in me? What happens when all these things, according to our expectations, are unmet, unfulfilled, and seemingly aren't going to change? Can you still find your joy in me? And as a pastor, we struggle with those things too, because guess what? You cut me, I bleed red just like you. Isn't that amazing? We're all filled with red blood once oxygen hits it. Bottom line is, we're all human. We all struggle. We all have expectations. Yours just may be completely different than what mine are. But the bottom line is, when things don't go according to your expectations, can you still find joy in God? And God alone. Not in the things, not in the wealth, not in the possessions, but in God alone is that where our joy is based. Even if the whole world falls apart, I still find joy in God. Hey, I've heard this a hundred times. I've preached on it. I'm sure if you look back over 18 years of preaching, i probably got messages on this. Somewhere. You've heard them and so have I. And he talks about being a Christian hedonist. A hedonist is someone who loves pleasure. A hedonist? A Christian hedonist? Oh. A Christian who finds ultimate pleasure in God alone. Sounds funny at first. Someone who ultimately wants to find their pleasure in God and find their joy in Him. So where do you find your joy? You know, for most men, it's in the accomplishments. It's amazing how you go to a conference, you go to a seminar, you go to a workshop, you go to a, whatever it is that you go to for your work, for your career, for your education, and they introduce the guy. This is Mr. So-and-so. He's got a degree from so-and-such and such. And he has a accomplishments, and he's in this journal, and he's in that magazine, and If you've ever been to a seminar, that's the way it starts. Here's all the credentials. Here's all the reasons why you should listen to Him. But what if you don't have accomplishments? What if you're just an everyday average Joe? You look back and say, I'm not very talented. I'm not very skilled. Don't have a lot of accomplishments. Can you still find joy in God? How was for some women... What steals your joy? Ask that question. What steals it? Unfulfilled expectations. I deserve, or I think I should get, or I want, and it doesn't happen. I remember all the expectations of marriage, and all everything's just going to be perfect. We're going to have that 2.5 kids in a two-car garage, and the American dream is going to happen. Where did they get the .5 anyway? But we have dreams. And we expect our dreams to happen. But what happens when they don't? What steals our joy? I just know for me, God was saying, you need to find your joy in me. I am most fulfilled. God says this. I am most glorified when you find your glory in me. Because I didn't create you for any other reason than to bring glory to me. I need to join God alone. And can I just share this as a personal testimony? I have lost countless hours of sleep. And maybe you have too. I can't tell you the hours of sleep I have ex- lost, sleep I have experienced over the years because of things happening in church. So and so mad at so and so. And this person's ticked off at that person. And this person's upset over this happening. And this person's upset over this. And you just want to say, can't y'all just get along? No wonder the outside world doesn't want in. You get it yet? Because I think it should be this way. And you think it should be this way. And she thinks it should be that way. Where do you find your joy? In things happening the way I think they should happen? In glorifying God. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're not going to stay here for just a moment, but I'm telling you from a pastor's perspective just for a few moments. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 7. Actually, verse 3 through 7. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When there's not a subject, it's understood you. You praise. Who he's talking to here. Praise God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. I love this, verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And look at this. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. Paul is addressing this from a pastoral heart. He says it's not for naught. Yes, there are trials. Yes, difficult situations. And the bottom line is, God's going to be glorified through it. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this. What's the this? Well, lead, watch over you, spiritually speaking, with joy and not with grief, for that would, would be unprofitable for you. He says, listen, obey them that are leaders because they will give an account for how they lead. I don't take that lightly. I want to be able to do it, as he says, with joy. I have no greater joy than to say, I pastor Harvest Bible Church, the greatest church on the face of God's earth. And I believe that. I love our church. But I want to lead with joy knowing that God's people are doing what's right because they're willing to submit. They're willing to lead to God's leadership. They're willing to go forward and say, God, I surrender. And it doesn't have to be all about me. But he says, look at." For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And it's hard sometimes. They come down to the office and say, Pastor, what do you think I should do about this? And I say, you know what, you really need to do this. And they go off and do the exact opposite. And I'm like, why did you bother opening your mouth and saying? Why? Because we're selfish. We want to do what we want to do. And knowing that I will give an account for what I say. That's heavy. So so they can do this with joy and not with grief. That would be what? Un, say it, profitable. There's a responsibility that we have as God's people to follow the leader that He has placed in front. But like many professing believers, we all catch ourselves letting unfulfilled expectations and selfishness distract us from enjoying God and obeying Him. We all do it. John Piper said it this way concerning finding our joy in God alone. But not only does the pursuit of joy in God, joy in God, not in any other area, give strength to endure, it is the key to breaking the power of sin on our way to heaven. So when things don't go our way, when our expectations are unfulfilled, when I consistently and completely put my faith and trust in God alone and find my joy there, it keeps me from being selfish. It keeps me from wanting to do things my way. And Matthew Henry put it this way, the joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. I love that. The tempter is always there. He's got a baited fish hook and it's sinfulness and he says, bite on it. And as believers, we should be so satisfied with the taste of God that we are dissatisfied with the taste of sinfulness. And when our focus is off, we have a tendency to get into sin. When we try to control the circumstances, we fall into sin. And when we're so busy trying to bring ourselves to a sense of fulfilled pleasure, that we're actually robbing God of the pleasure that is due Him. When we are living for self, we rob God of the pleasure He alone deserves. And let me just tell you this before we get too far, and this is a long introduction. You can download the book Desiring God at desiringgod.org free of charge. So I'm going to steal some stuff from John Piper as we go through this. So what are basics do we need to get back to? Let me just stop and pray for a moment. Dear Holy Father, we come to you, Lord. And Lord, in my heart, I want to find joy in you alone. But Lord, I also know I'm selfish. My flesh is strong. And I want what I want, like everyone else, when I want it, as often as I want it, for as long as I want it. Lord, you tell us in your word that our flesh is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Lord, we surrender. I surrender. I want to be obedient. I want to find my joy in you. And Lord, I pray that that would be the desire in all of our hearts here this morning. That we would so long for you, so desire you, Lord, that nothing else satisfies. God, would you draw us closer to you this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, why does God exist? I think each of us needs to be reminded of this answer. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 31. This is a familiar verse, familiar passage. I'm gonna break it down just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 10 31 therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do everything for god's glory it's very clear he says do everything for god's glory as i said let me break this down we know what it means to eat and drink we're good at that whether therefore you eat or drink i mean we probably got stuff in crock pots at home we got stuff in the oven as soon as you get there you're going to put some stuff on the stove that's easy but what does it mean in the Greek when it says whatever? It means whatever. Real difficult, deep word there. Whatever. I mean, no matter what you do, how you act, how you react, how you think, everything is involved with whatever. It says whatever you do, do all to what? Glory of God. What you watch, what you listen to, how you speak. How you interact with those around you. What your motives are. Everything is consumed with the idea of whatever. He says do it for one reason. Not for you, not for your friends, not for the pastor, not for the church, not for your relatives, not for your spouse, not for your kids. You do it for the glory of God. That's why we exist. To bring God glory through every action and reaction of our life. Very clear here. The end goal of man is that God be glorified. And not only glorified, but glorified how He chooses. God wants to be glorified. <clears throat> I want to take a few moments just to read some of these verses that we're talking about here. The psalmist really talks about finding pleasure in God. Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, the problem is we flip that around and we have it just back to, backwards in our culture. We say, we're going to find the delights of our heart, and if it's convenient, we'll pursue God. He says, wait a minute, that's wrong. Take delight in the Lord. What does it mean to take delight in the Lord? The bottom line is we find our joy, we find our pleasure, we find satisfaction in Him alone when everything else has fallen apart. When everything else has gone wrong, he says, take delight in the Lord. And waking up every morning, saying, God, I have another day of life and breath. God, thank you for another day to have a family. God, thank you for another... And it's not even about all the things that God gives us. He's God. We forget that. See, so we know it here, but we forget it. We take it for granted. It's just a fact that it's tucked up there on the shelf. It says, take delight in the Lord. Psalm 42. Verses 1 and 2. <clears> he <throat> says, As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Let's be honest just for a moment this morning. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to us. When's the last time that we have longed to be with God? Let's put it in perspective here. I remember when I started dating my wife. I hope I never forget. It was awesome. I saw that chick on campus and I said, That's the girl I'm marrying. I did not date in high school. I waited, I knew I was gonna be God called me to preach. I knew I had four years of Bible college at least in front of me. I did not mess around in high school. When I saw on campus, praise God for the ultimate wisdom of teachers putting us in rows alphabetically because she's sent by me, and I saw her, and I said, that's a girl I'm going to marry. It was literally like that. I had five things, and I'll share with those later. But I looked at her and like, boom, five things. I prayed for Boom, she's it. It was that simple. And as I started dating her, Guess what? I wanted to be around her all the time. Maybe some of you can relate. I didn't care about any other girl on campus. I really could care less. I still could care less. She's, in my eyes, the most beautiful woman on planet Earth. Still. I wanted to spend all my time with her. Period. Then in the middle of our junior or sophomore year, she decided to break me for some ungodly reason. Um, and then junior year, she got her heart right with God and we started dating again. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't date in between there. I just, I had my eyes on. And there's a whole story there. But the bottom line is, I couldn't wait. When we were apart, this is pre pre-cell phone dudes. I mean, phones, pocket change. Long bills, or large bills, right? It was worth every penny. I wanted to be around her. I wanted to talk to her, even if it was silence on the other line. Right? You get it. Falling in love. Bottom line is, our ultimate relationship that we have as believers is not with our spouse. It's not with our children. It's not with a coworker. It's not with anybody that we know other than God. And the psalmist says what? As a deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God. When's the last time we've thirsted for God? Let's be honest. We live in a culture that's secondary. We live in a culture where we do everything else, and if there's time at the end of the day, then maybe we'll spend some time with God in prayer, and it's the best sleeping medication ever ever invented. (coughs) Because we're used to giving God the leftovers. When's the last time we've thirsted for God? Be honest. Because you and God know that answer. You and God can't hide that from each other. Remember the whole thing about relationships? A lot of communication, great relationship, a little bit of communication, a little bit of relationship, no communication, no relationship. See, communication is the key. When's the last time you've thirsted for God? The psalmist says, "I, I want God. I want Him. Psalm 63, verse 1 says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. (coughs) Do we thirst for God that way? Or are we too busy thirsting for the things of this world? I love what it says in Psalm 36, in verse 8. says, they are filled with the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream. It's because there is a thirst quenched and refreshed only by God. He allows us to drink from that stream. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream. There are some thirsts that can only be quenched by God. I wonder if we've been quenched. Remember, Matthew Henry says, We should have such a disdain for the taste of Satan that we only long for the taste of God. Where does he get that from? Psalm 34 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. Have you tasted that? Psalm 119:103 How sweet your word is to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth that can only come from a heart of one who finds his satisfaction in God and so much so that he wants to spend time in his word so that he can taste of the words of God In Psalm 16 verse 11 You reveal the path of life to me and your presence is abundant joy In your right hand are eternal pleasures. Where do we find our joy? Where do we find our satisfaction? Where are our thirsts quenched? He says, in your presence, God's presence, nowhere else, there is abundant joy. I don't know about you, but I I struggle with that. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. Because I want a lot of stuff. Jake was joking with us a couple months back, and he says, Man, Daddy, goes, I'm going to need a great job. I kind of looked at him and said, Why? He goes, Because I want a lot of junk. Right. You know, the only difference between his toys and mine is that they get more expensive and bigger as you get older. We want stuff. I mean, Andrea was saying to me the other day, she goes, Dad, wouldn't it be cool to go to a trip to Australia? Mm-hmm. would be really cool. When I was in high school, there was nothing else I really wanted to do. I wanted to see Australia. Never been there. Would like to. Like to go on an Alaskan cruise. Anybody want to go? Let's go. There's a lot of things I want. And you're no different. When it really comes down to it, what brings us joy? Is it in having everything secure? I mean, next week, next month, next year, knowing how things are going to fall into place. Is it the job? Is it the grandkids? Is it the children doing what's right? What do we worry about? See, the fact that we worry about things means that we're kind of off focus a little bit from our trust in God. Right? I mean, really at its base. What Brings you joy. You know, there's a lot of things, and if we could put it into perspective this way. Job 22.25 says this. The Almighty will be your gold and your finest silver. Did you catch that? He says the Almighty, God, will be your gold and His finest silver. What's he saying here? Your ultimate possession, the ultimate value that any one of us can have is found in what? God and our relationship with Him. Nothing else. Because ultimately, nothing else will satisfy. And as long as our expectations are met, great. Then life is hunky-dory and wonderful. But the moment that our expectations are unfulfilled... Then we're distracted. And it really reveals to us where our true joy is. Not in the things, but in the one. The one. And he is most glorified when I find my joy in him. We're going to be talking about this for about the next seven or eight weeks. And I trust that every one of us will allow this. Our idea of getting back to the basics of why we're here. You know, God is not here so you could be saved. Because long before He died on the cross, long before Jesus Christ was sent to the cross of Calvary, God was. And He existed for His own glory. And everything else is bonus. But the bottom line is, He's God. We need to view Him as that. Supreme being. Exists for His own glory. We're going to talk about that more next week. So my question this morning is this. Where do you find your joy? Can you say like the psalmist, I long for, I thirst for, as if I'm in a desert where there's no water. I want the water, the living streams of God. I want to be in His presence. Revelation 4.11 comes into this. He says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things and for Your will. They exist. Some of your translations may say pleasure. He says, for for my will, for my pleasure, everything exists. One reason. Not for you, not for anyone else, but for God. That's why you're here. That's our purpose. To bring glory to God. So when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road and how I live my day... From the time I get up in the morning and put my shoes on and go about the day, when I consider my motives, my actions and reactions, what I listen to, how I speak, everything, does it point to the fact that I want to glorify God? If it doesn't, we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back on track. And maybe this morning, as we close in prayer, we are going to take a moment to observe the Lord's table, but the bottom line is: first, and more importantly, this morning, I don't—I don't, I don't think there's one of us should walk out of this room and say, "You know what? I'll deal with it later." If the Holy Spirit convicts you, you deal with it. Maybe this morning we need to just kneel at our seats. Maybe this morning we need to come to the altar and pray. I don't know about you, but I want God to be glorified. I want God to be supremely lifted high in every area of life. And that means getting rid of my stinking rotten flesh first and saying, God, not my will, but Thy will be done. As John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease because it's not about me